Well, great to have you here this morning. Uh, if you are newer with us, my name is Brian, and I uh, look forward to looking at God's Word together here, where we are going to be in a couple places. We're going to start off briefly in Romans chapter 12, and then we'll spend the majority of our time in Luke chapter 11 here and straight from Jesus. So if you want to turn in a Bible or uh, click to a Bible, whatever the case may be for you. Uh, but when it comes to clicking, actually, uh, the devices that we have these uh, Bibles and things like that on, uh, this past summer, our family was on a vacation at the Lake of the Ocean. Ozarks, where this actually particular device ended up in the lake. Uh, thankfully, we were able to recover it, and uh, you know, doing there's lots of different ideas, everything from rice to all kinds of different things you can do or should do with it. And uh, but by and large, I saw you know you want to turn it off, keep it shut down, and then let it air out for at least 24 to 48 hours, maybe put it in front of a fan. So I did that. I stuck it in front of a fan for 24 hours and decided after 24 hours not being attached, this thing was kind of nice. So I thought. Maybe we should go with the 48 and uh, add another 24 hours, let it sit, let it air out. And at the 48th hour, I went ahead and turned this thing back on. And by the 49th hour, I wanted to throw it back into the lake. <laughs> because we know how just uh, enmeshed, you could say, our lives are with these little devices. And I want to talk with you a little bit more about that today. But as I think about what it means that we are up to in our lives, whether we're going to have success with how we're going to engage these things, or as we've been talking about with this series, this idea of a rule of life, which is just really saying a way of life that we're being intentional about the habits, the routines, the commitments we have in order to create space for God to be at work. Uh, there are, you could say simply, there are three things Three things that we must have in place in order to be effective in any of those things. That in order to be effective in absolutely anything in our lives, there are three things that we need. Whether you are driving a car or parenting a child, trying to get physically fit, maybe running a home, a business, a church, even running an entire country. It's three things that you need to be effective at anything. And and uh, again, the tiniest task, the most significant responsibility in those three things are simply this, that we need to be able to remember, attend, and inhibit. That in order to be effective at anything, we need to be able to do these three things. And I came across these three things uh, by Christian psychologist and business consultant, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, who is most well-known for his book entitled Boundaries. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, and then kind of getting some mileage out of that, there were other boundaries books. There was Boundaries for Marriage, and then there was Boundaries for Dating, and Boundaries for Teens. And it's like Boundaries for Kitty Cats. It's like, okay. like, And, and so... Yeah, I have to admit, I was a little skeptical of reading another Boundaries book in the Boundaries line, but he came out with a book called Boundaries for Leaders, and it's actually one of the best books on leadership that I've ever read. There are a lot of great uh, concepts and ideas out of that, but this was one of them, this reality that in order to be effective at anything we do, that these are the three things that must be true. And so what that means is to remember, meaning that there is, you could say, relevant information that we need to be able to recall and operate out of that we might then attend to relevant actions, in other words, do this, and then inhibit, uh, you could say, distracting, irrelevant, or even destructive, kind of don't do that, uh, in order to be effective at anything. And again, it's a scalable reality, whether you are driving a car or directing an entire country. And so just to give us an example of this, uh, you know, we just elected a bunch of people to deal with the country, so I'll 
focus on driving a car, I'll stay in my lane, no pun intended. Um, but uh, the idea of driving a car actually uh, came up in a unique way this past Sunday as my 14-year-old son, in anticipation of getting his driver's permit next year at 15, wanted to give uh, driving a try. And so we uh, took advantage of the empty church parking lot to give that a run. Uh, I assume that's legal. I really don't know where the parking lots land in all of the uh, what's allowed and all that. Uh, but as part of what he had to do, he had to know what to know, remember, attend to certain things, and inhibit. That when it comes to driving, there's certain things we need to know, certain things we need to do, and certain things that we need to not do. Uh, for example, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do in a parking lot. You can only get so fast, at least theoretically. And... Uh, <laughs> So he enjoyed taking advantage of the parking spaces, just kind of challenging himself to see how well he could kind of evenly get in parking between the lines, as well as kind of the depth perception, how far you would park it. And so in this little game with himself to kind of do better and better, in his excitement to see how he did, he would come into the space, park the car, but not put it in park, and he'd go to jump out, and we'd kind of jump forward, you know, time and time again, because he had not yet, you know, had a working memory. I mean, the, the kid had been driving for six minutes, so it's understandable a working memory of that you need to attend to putting the car in park before getting out of the vehicle. Uh, on the inverse, when it came to driving, uh, the reality that you have to actually go a little bit slower when it comes to uh, turning versus going straight. He did not yet know how to inhibit the gas pedal. And so in the melodramatic dad fashion, I was like, throw myself out the window as if, um, you know, anyway, because that's what loving dads do when their kid's trying to learn to drive. So that's it. Remember, attend, and inhibit. And so while these three things are, I am convinced, true of anything that we want to be effective in, they are not ideas that are unique to Dr. Henry Cloud and his boundaries. He might have codified it with this language, but it is a reality that we actually see in directing our lives all throughout the scriptures. Uh, one example of this is in our first passage today, Romans chapter 12. It talks about these three ideas. It says it this way. Uh, then when it comes to following Jesus, the apostle Paul to the church, he says, therefore I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in remembrance of, in uh, recognition of his mercy, that under that umbrella, to then do this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that when we live a life for him, that this is our true and proper worship. He goes on. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, that we need to inhibit pattering our lives off the ways of this world, but instead attend to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be attending to this kind of idea, and it's then, and only then, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as you think about, like, what is it that you want out of this life? I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, that pretty well sums it up. If there's anything I want, I want to know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. And so when we remember God's mercy, who we are because of Jesus' sacrifice, anchored in God's love, that we can then attend and inhibit things, then we are getting after what this whole series is about, this idea of a rule or a way of life that is focusing on living in the will and the ways of God and creating space through commitments and routines and habits that make that uh, reality. 
And so if you're newer with us, we've talked, or if you just maybe slept since the last time we talked about it, kind of a refresh on what we talked about. Uh, we talked last week about how we need to attend to our identity in who we are in the love of God. And then under that umbrella, we attend to practices that anchor in this. Uh, the first week we talked about sacred reading through sacred scripture, that when it comes to anything we read in this life, we typically do it for information or entertainment, but the word of God is not for either of those things. It's not information, it's for transformation. And so since its purpose is different, it would suggest that we would read it differently as well. And then from there, we talked about how even creation can point us to giving credit to our creator and worship to him. And then just this past week, we looked at what was called an ancient practice called centering prayer, that we wanna center in on the truth of God's word, even if it's just a couple of words, even a single word, that we would meditate on this, that we would fix our, our attention and our prayers on this idea of what we wanna meditate on, who we wanna become, versus, we said a little bit last week, versus meditating on the feeds and centering in on what comes our way through these kinds of devices, social media and the like. And so you could say over the last several weeks, we've been talking about, as we remember the kind of life that we want to live, that God leads, we've talked about really the attending side of things, how we need to attend to scripture and creation and to prayer. But today, I want to look at the other side of that coin. I want to look at the idea of what is it that we inhibit? What do we want to not do? What do we want to avoid, you could say, that also makes up? this way and this rule of life. It's not just what we do that we wanna be effective in, it's what we don't do that helps us to be effective. And specifically, I wanna take, you could say, the conversation about these devices one layer deeper. The uh, digital media, the screens that rule our world, and so often, if we're honest, seem to be ruling our lives. Uh, and so to have kind of a level playing field to kind of start us off well on this conversa conversation when it comes to screens, we're gonna let Jesus talk to us about what he has to say about these screens in our life. You're like, what? Jesus talked about screens? You betcha. So here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus says it this way. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, you put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, this idea of being a light, it is most often referred to in a metaphor that Jesus uses elsewhere about how we uh, we even talked about this during our time in worship, like that we are to be the light of Christ. But recognize that this all starts with, number one, Jesus being the light in our lives, that we put Jesus not off the side, not hiding him, not under a bowl, but that we have him in his proper place in our lives, up on a stand so that he can, you could say, kind of light up our lives in order to then be a light to others, so that we would be able to, as it says in John 14, 6, experience and illuminate the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus in our lives, okay? And so Jesus, he goes on to contrast, you could say, how this works out. He says that your eye, like what a life with his light in it looks like. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. So like in the same way that a lamp illuminates and fills a room, that what comes into your eyes also fills your body, Jesus says. And he says this is how it works. He says that when your eyes, what's coming into the lamp of your eyes is healthy, well then your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also then full of darkness. Now, 
this does not lead us to have to have a lot of interpretation. You know, this is pretty straightforward from Jesus, that what we take into our eyes is gonna fill our mind, our heart, our soul, our self, for better or for worse, healthy or unhealthy, full of light or full of darkness. And as we think about that, what does all of that, you could say, have to do with these? Well, that's easy. Everything. Everything. Everything here has everything to do with the digital, visual media that we take in in our lives. And I would say acutely over the last 10 years or a little bit more now uh, since the, uh, the inception of these so-called smartphones, uh, that when it comes to the lamp of your body, again, in the same way that a lamp illuminates and fills a room and comes and fills your eyes and thus your life, I mean, how crazy is it kind of to the metaphor, like these things literally glow, like they light up your face, they light up your eyes, like they really are literally filling your eyes and the question is what's filling your eyes, your mind, your soul, is what's going in healthy and full of light or unhealthy and full of darkness? You know, to think about this, it's like I know Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, but I almost wonder if he said it with like a time capsule in mind. Like, sure, like this is applicable in 32 AD, but you guys have no idea how applicable this is gonna be in 2022 AD. That these words from Jesus have everything to do in this world that we are living when it comes to these devices. Not just, again, these ones in our hands or our pockets, but you think about the number of screens that adorn the rooms of our home, or when you go out to eat with another person, how our gaze is above their head and looking at the screens on the walls. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, like, I can't even pump my gas without a screen screaming at the lamp of my eyes as a lamp into my body. And we know this. I mean, this is not surprising news. We are well aware of these things, but the question I have really for us are, like, how bad is it? Like, to what degree are these things captivating not just our eyes, but our minds, our hearts, and our very souls? Well, we did a series uh, a couple years ago called Redeem the Screen, where we did a deeper dive on this topic, and if you wanna catch that, we have all those uh, on our website. Uh, but some of the stats and the quotes and the, the facts that we shared from that, I wanna share with you again here today. Uh, one of the first things that struck me is just the reality that there's actually an official diagnosis of actually a fear, a phobia, of being without this specific device. It's called nomophobia. And it is the irrational fear of being without your mobile phone or being unable to use your phone for some reason, such as the absence of a signal or running out of power. And from there, again, you know there's a million, zillion stats on the way that these devices are affecting us and the way that we use them. Uh, just a few of them. This one kind of cuts through it all. 75% of smartphone users admit that they use their phone while using the restroom. Maybe not that big of a surprise, but what really got me was that 30% said they would not go into the restroom without their phone. Like, I'm not going there by myself, right? <laughs> what am I gonna do? 93% of Americans, which, again, that's not out there. I mean, that's, you know, nine out of 10 of us plus, sleep with our phone next to the bed. In another survey, 74% of 18 to 34-year-olds said that their phone is the very last thing that they see before bed and the very first thing they see when they wake up. You see, the problem is, uh, I love the way that Pastor Kyle Edelman says this, the problem is not that we have 24-hour access to our screens. 
the problem. The problem is that they have 24-hour access to us. And it's because of this that we know. It's why the conversation around this idea of like data and privacy and, and how all that works, it's why it's such a big deal is because the, the fact of the matter is like we, ironically, are actually the product. That when we show up to social media, that we are living in an attention economy, that we are not the customers. We are, in fact, a product in a multi-billion dollar industry that is completely built around capturing and controlling your attention by the way of distraction and addiction. I mean, all of it, every piece of it, the like button, the scrolling features, the, the refresh of your feed at the bottom of the page that somehow just infinitely seems to go on and on, the, the retweet and the repost and the buzz and the dings and, and the streaks, like all of it. It is masterfully designed to keep you gazing into these screens longer and longer and longer and to keep you coming back again and again and again and again and again. Given this reality, please don't miss here. I'm not suggesting that the people behind these uh, screens or media are inherently evil. They are just in the midst of the reality of a business model that is designed around an attention economy where your attention is the product. And if you don't have a plan to control it, well, don't worry. You will fall right into their plan to control you. As I think about this, I say, okay, well, what does all this have to do with having a rule of life, a way of life? Like, we talk about habits and routines. Like, I thought this was about spiritual practices for today. Well, it's to catch and to not miss that all this stuff is integrated. That we need to recognize that, frankly, every habit, every discipline, every thing we do, whether intentional or unintentional, whether it seems spiritual or secular, that all of it is, in fact, a spiritual discipline. Because every habit, everything we take into the lamp of our eyes, whether intentional or unintentional, is forming us. It's shaping us. It is moving us into the person and the people that we are becoming. The brain science behind this, they call this this reality, they call it neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to modify, to change, to adapt, like literally in its physical structure as well as in its function in a direct response to the experiences that we expose ourselves to. It's this, you know, this reality that when the neurons in our brain fire together over something, that they are wiring together, they are coming together, they're literally being shaped by everything that we do, that when we take in anything, when we do anything, whether you take in an image, a message, an idea, if you say a word or do with it, all of it, whatever it is, each repetition, is hardwiring this into your mind and to your body, which just simply makes it more and more likely that you will do it again and again and again. You see, the bottom line is that the things that we do, they do something to us. You catch that everything we do, the things that we do, they do something to us. It's as Jesus said, Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when you on repeat take in things that are healthy, well then you're gonna be full of light. But if on rerun and repeat you hardwire unhealthy, then naturally the affect of that is gonna be fullness of darkness. 
And so Jesus and all that, it doesn't just describe the reality. It does give us, or he does give us direction on what it is that we can do with this. He gives us some direction, some leading on what do we then do. So Jesus says it this way. He says, so see to it. Because of this reality, see to it then that the light that is within you is not darkness. Now, that's kind of a strange thing. Like, that's like a paradox. Like, how can the light within you be darkness? Well, what Jesus is saying, it's this, this paradox that the reality is of whatever is, you could say, lighting you up, whatever you're using to illuminate the lamp of your eyes, whether light or darkness, that that is what is going to be inside of you. In fact, in Matthew chapter six, it's recorded this way from Jesus. He says, if then the light within you is darkness, well, then how great is that darkness? If what you're taking in is darkness, how great then, if that's all that's lighting you up, and that light, ironically, is darkness. But inversely, verse 36, he says, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, well, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And so with this goal in mind, when it comes to this idea of a rule of life, a way of life, habits and routines when it comes to digital media, um, before we kind of step into this, I don't wanna, again, paint this broad brushstroke where it's all evil and bad. I mean, there is certainly a lot of wonderful things a lot of you are following on right now on a Bible app that's allowing you to, to get through that uh, on a digital reality. Um, we have a, a deal on our website called Right Now Media, which is like basically Netflix for Christian Bible studies that our small groups and individuals can take advantage of. All that's available to all of you. Um, you know, I think about. Just, let's, let's be honest. I mean, look around. I mean, we, we are using screens quite a bit around here, are we not? Um, so it'd be a little bit um, kind of a, you know. So it's like it's, I'm all for it it's for the kingdom of God to the glory of God. Like we're all for that. But what I really want to focus on, even though there are plenty of wonderful things that have come from technology, I think for our purposes today, how is it that we want to focus on when it comes to our way of life? How do we want to inhibit these screens? Where do we, where do you could say do we want to, uh, you know, again, there's plenty of good things we can attend to, but also what do we need to inhibit when it comes to our use of media and these screens in our life? And, and there's two fronts that I want us to look at when it comes to this. The quality and the quantity. That when it comes to our way of life that we want to approach these devices, what do we want to do about the quality as well as the amount, the quantity of them? And so the first one, quality, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, again, that if what we're bringing in, the quality or lack of quality is unhealthy, then naturally gonna be full of darkness. And so when it comes to this subject, I would just ask you the question. What, you could say, front-end decisions do you need to make about, like, the websites you won't visit, the apps you won't use, like, what you won't take into the lamp of your eyes regarding movies and shows when it comes to, you could say, sexual content, nudity, violence, perhaps profanity, maybe frightening or intense scenes that as we discern this, this won't be identical for everybody, but that you have to discern and make what we could say some front-end decisions that makes future decisions for you. Uh, I love the idea, this is not original to me, but I love this concept that we can, in our lives, we can make one decision that makes a thousand other decisions for us. So what does that mean? This idea that, for example, like when it comes to the content we take in, like if this one rating or this one type of content is part of that media, then you can just say, you know what, I know for me, that's out. 
Like that's out for me. And what that means then is you don't have to make the decision a thousand other times when that comes up. You just, you know, make that one, you could say, objective decision that predecides and eliminates the need to make subjective decisions about things of whether you will or you won't that come your way along the way. Because you've made a front-end decision about what it is when it comes to light and darkness that you are going to allow into the lamp of your eyes. And so what front-end decisions, what one decision to make a thousand others do you need to make when it comes to inhibiting the lack of quality of content that you consume? Okay, so that's the quality quotient. And then the other one, I'll spend just a little bit more time on this, and that is quantity. The quantity. How are you going to be intentional? Create, you could say, a way, a rule of life around the quantity of the time that you are allowing these devices to illuminate the lamp of your eyes, and thus your soul, your mind, and your life. Uh, and, And may I remind you, Again, of the billion-dollar industry, of the billions behind making sure that, frankly, they're just way too good and the force is just way too overwhelming for you to just to conclude that, well, I'll just try to look at my phone a little less this week. Like, you won't win that battle. You need to be intentional. We need to, you know, it's funny, I think, you know, we, we all agree that, you know, screen time limits and these types of things are, are really important and good for kids, but yet somehow they're not for us as adults. And all God's teenagers said, amen, (laughs) all fairness. So here are some ideas for all of us, teenagers, kids, adults alike. Set limits. You know, these phones actually have come up with things that you can set screen time and specific app limits. There's even third-party apps that keep you out of other apps if that is, again, a front-end decision you want to make about the quantity and the amount of time you're spending on these. Uh, I heard of a family recently uh, that put into practice what they call 111 that every day they turn their devices off for one hour, that one day a week they turn off their devices, and then one week a year. So one hour a day, one day out of the week, and one week out of the year where they're completely off. And um, again, it's kind of a new idea, and I'm kind of excited to see, maybe explore what that could look like in our lives. Um, Maybe you need to just simply set an alarm, a reoccurring alarm of when you're gonna shut down your device at night, as well as set a predetermined time as to when it is that you will turn it on again in the morning. And uh, again, I think about, you know, some of the, well, it's my alarm clock, so it's the first thing I do. I'm just like, go buy a $6 analog alarm clock. Like, they used to work for a long time. I'm sure they would work again. Like, I think about the reality of the number of us that sleep with this next to our heads. Uh, but, and, and the reason that I, I kind of push on that is because, again, the statistics around not just what happens when we have it next to our bed, but the reality of it, this idea to me of like being the very last thing I see as I drift off into sleep or the very first thing upon waking, like I'm letting the media decide kind of the last thing I'm gonna see as I kind of drift off. It feels like such like a, when you think about it, it's kind of like this very vulnerable, intimate time when you, you're kind of, you know, your guard is down, you're falling asleep, or you think about the inverse of that when you first wake up, like the, is the first thing you wanna wake up to really, like, and you might say, well, I don't use this thing, but maybe you turn on that 24-7, you know, agenda-driven news cycle that's, you know, going all the time. It's like, no wonder our days are starting off anxious and overwhelmed and apprehensive and angry when we let the world and its decisions for you through media mold and shape your emotional equilibrium for the day. It's no wonder. And so this week, you have to make these decisions. There's not a one size fits all. You have to discern, okay, what kind of way of life do I want when it comes to the quantity as well as the quality of the media that I'm taking in? 
And so as you consider that, that spiritual practice that we are gonna inhibit, uh, or not, excuse me, that we're gonna implore as we both attend and inhibit the things in our life, we're gonna call it this week, it's called benevolent detachment, a practice I came across recently because it's a recent need in our day. It's a spiritual practice for today. That when it comes to media, to benevolently detach. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think we know what it means in life to have a, you could say, a healthy detachment from things that if we are maybe too kind of tied into a situation or a relationship or kind of this, what psychologists call, if we're enmeshed in it and there's no lines between us and an issue or that particular circumstance, that we know that there's something healthy about putting some distance, appropriately detaching ourselves from that. So how do we need to detach and not be enmeshed with our screens? But then kind of a qualitative uh, word, a kind of an adjective is this idea of like, like that's a benevolent move. Uh, That word benevolent, it really means kindness. That when we detach from media, we are being, you could say, benevolent or kind to our soul. It is an extension of kindness to our soul regarding poor quality and just sheer quantity when it comes to the input that we are putting into our eyes. Kindness to our souls. Again, we think about the reality that not just that we have 24-7 access, but that, for example, the news seems to have 24-7 access to us, whether it's around the world through news media or right around the corner in our lives and closest people in our lives through social media. That we, when we stay overly attached to this, and I get it, it's like, there's a sense like, it's like my civic and my personal responsibility to stay up to date and be connected to what's happening, not just in the world around me, but also in the world of those close to me through social or you know, kind of the macro media. Um, I'll just say this, like when I'm taking in large quantities of that, and again, this, this might just be me, but I doubt it. That there's something that that does to me. That if I take in all the, when you think about just the massive amount of, you could say just like news that's just kind of peppering our eyes through these screens on a 24-7 basis, whether it's earthquakes and wars like all the way around the world or like a tragic medical diagnosis or a fatal car accident right around the corner through social media. Yes, these things are important to be aware of, but to what degree? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we would watch the news at a segmented time on a television. That would be the end of it. And then it wasn't that long before that that these news stories were relegated to black and white print on a newspaper. Like, this is a relatively new reality in just the last decade that we can literally just see 24-7 all the weight of the world coming at us. And here's what that does. When we see all the stuff of the world come out, I don't know about you, but again, for me, it feels like it just kind of just stacks up, like it's just piling on one story after another, the weight of the world completely on our eyes and thus our lives. And the reality is, is that as humans, we weren't designed to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders or our hearts or our minds. Because when we do, again, this might just be me, but the more I take in, it seems like the more overwhelmed, the more despair that I feel, and it leaves me feeling one of two ways. Either just throw my hands up in resignation, like it's just overwhelming, I can't deal, and you just kinda kind of turn it off, or worse, you turn into a cynic. It's just a life of cynicism as a result of the overwhelm of that. And the reality as to why that happens when we take the weight of all of that on our shoulders, the reality is why that overwhelms us is because we weren't designed to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. The truth is only one is designed to create and to hold the world on his shoulders. 
and that's God. And we are not him. Only God is designed to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I'm not, again, suggesting that we, you know, turn a blind eye or resignation against everything, but I am encouraging, I am suggesting that we be intentional. That we be intentional with the quantity of which we receive into the lamp of our eyes. For me, that means like a 10 minute news cycle and I got a thing I listen to each day and every bad thing that comes across, I offer up a prayer. Anything I feel like I need to go find out more, I can't, but I don't just sit there and just dwell and just let it come at me at the world's deciding. We need to make decisions about that. And so, again, this is gonna be deeply personal to each of us, uh, but I wanna invite you, again, what is the way of life, what kind of rule of life do you need to prayerfully discern when it comes to the, you could say, benevolent detachment of quantity and quality in our lives. Uh, it'd be great to work that out. I think maybe it'd be a good conversation over lunch or with your small group uh, to, to be able to discuss with others, but each of us are gonna have to discern that on our own. But just to kind of give us some handles so it's not too squishy and you get to walk away without anything, uh, I, would, I would challenge all of us this week uh, to kind of maybe take a, a play out of that, uh, that one, one, one to maybe this week. What would it look like to just maybe an hour earlier to have a time where you discern that you're gonna shut it down one hour a day each day this week for the next seven days. And again, each week we have these seven day challenges with this idea that hopefully it's something you can find a way to you know, install into your life all the days of your life for the best approach to life for this reality that when we do these things, that it was kind of cool if we inhibit an hour of social media or whatever media that we might have, then it gives us the space to not just inhibit, but then to attend to the kinds of things we've been talking about these last few weeks, to attend to scripture instead or to creation or to prayer. Like it, it, they, they go together as we remember, as we remember who we are and the identity that we are getting after in Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, when we do that together, this is, excites me because what we're doing over these last few weeks and what we're doing, I mean, we're heading somewhere. This idea that we are creating something as a community of people, that we would be a people, not just a collection of individuals, but a church that are putting Jesus in his proper place as a light on a stand in our lives as we are a light to our community that we might experience and then just demonstrate for others again. One more time from Jesus. At the end of that passage, he says, therefore, that we would be the kind of people who the body, like the body of Christ, the church, as well as individuals, that we'd be full of light and that no part of us would be darkness. And when we do that, when we live this kind of life, this kind of way, this way of life up from the fray of this world, we will. It'll be just like, it'll be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And so Lord Jesus, may it be, may the light of who you are be put in its proper place as we inhibit certain things and attend to you. We pray as we remember our identity rooted in you in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask, amen.